welcome to the After the Bell podcast, brought to you by Connects Education Academy. Our podcast is here to help teachers, leaders and tutors. We will be discussing the latest issues in education and sharing top tips for use in the classroom, both face-to-face or virtually. Welcome back to the After the Bell podcast. Jim McIntyre here, Director of Learning and Development for Connects Academy, and returning to focus on a series of podcasts, Students with SEND. I'm joined by Andy Bridge, a current Deputy Head Teacher, and Debbie Davis, Head Teacher of an Independent Special School and Experienced SENCO. We've been looking at the variety of SEND that students can have. Last week for Podcast 7, we focused on the awareness and support dyslexia students and we hope that you found the podcast interesting and insightful. Today we're going to focus on students that have dyscalculia and aim to heighten our awareness of this specific learning difficulty and also take a look at the support available. Andy, what is dyscalculia? Hi Georgie, so in terms of um, definition I always think it's helpful to go to to the association for that that learning need. So we'll look at the British Dyscalculia Association website and their definition. Dyscalculia is a specific and persistent difficulty in, un- in understanding numbers, um, which can lead to a diverse range of difficulties with maths. Um, now, it would be unexpected in relation to age, level of education experience, and it can occur across all ages, all abilities. It can occur singularly, but it often is co-located with other specific learning difficulties, for example, dyslexia. It's part of that same family of learning difficulties. Um, You know, once we start looking into it a little bit further, all of the definitions of this need have got things in common, which basically are experience with difficulty in mathematics. Mathematical difficulties are not underpinned by poor educational opportunities. So this isn't as a lack of um, access to good quality teaching. And the degree of difficulty is cited to be below expectations for the. So the degree of difficulty is cited so that, that it's below their individual age. That was that was one of the key elements that uh, I think sharing there. What does the Department for Education say about dyscalculia, Debbie? Well, here's a quote from the Department for Education. I always find quotes really helpful, and this one's particularly helpful. So dyscalculia is a condition that affects the ability to acquire arithmetical skills. Dyscalculic learners may have difficulty understanding simple number concepts, lack of uh, intuitive grasp of numbers, and have problems learning number facts and procedures. Even if they produce a correct answer, or use a correct method, they may do so mechanically and without confidence. And that's the National Numeracy Strategy, the DFE 2001. Now that we understand what it is, thank you, Debbie, does it occur in a lot of students? And and how do we recognise it, Andy? You know, um, it's really interesting because we hear an awful lot about dyslexia. We know how common that is, but in contrast, dyscalculia, it's much less researched and we've got nowhere near as much understanding um, as we do with dyslexia. So there is an estimate 
of between three and six percent of the population um, and we know it's likely to affect females as well as males but as i said it's not um as well researched as dyslexia so some of the research needs probably a little bit further refinement um what we do know is that it might appear differently depending on the age and developmental stage of the individual but common symptoms include difficulty with quite basic mathematical concepts so multiplication division fractions carrying and borrowing those things that we expect students to pick up quite easily might be something that students with dyscalculia struggle with um, it could be difficulty remembering verbal and written cues such as the word two when it's written down and linking that to the mathematical symbol of the number two it could be having trouble articulating and explaining the mathematical process or showing they're working out and the mathematical task and it could be um, that they they struggle with describing the sequence of event or remembering the steps that they've taken in order to solve a mathematical pro process so they're, they're quite significant things that you, you know take for granted actually how, how do you get or have dyscalculia debbie well that's a really good question and dyscalculia it may occur by itself or it may occur alongside other developmental delays or neurological conditions children and adults may be more likely to receive a diagnosis of dyscalculia if they have any of the following so uh, uh, dyslexia uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder depression or anxiety um, dyscalculia may uh, also have um, a genetic component mathematical aptitude tends to run in families as do learning disabilities it's hard to tell how much of aptitude is hereditary uh, or how much is the result of your, your family culture for example if you grew up with a mother who regularly said that she was just useless at maths um, and as a result she couldn't help you to learn maths chances are that you will struggle with maths as well uh, more research is needed uh, to understand the genetic factors that come into play uh, in, in respect to learning disabilities as well so with all this background information and and we're gradually gaining an improved understanding. How can our teachers best support students with dyscalculia, Andy? Yeah, so one of the most well-known researchers in this field is called Steve Chin. Um, he produces resources and gives recommendations for teachers for how they can support students with dyscalculia. Um, and he gives out lots of tips, but some of them um, that he recommends are just watching and listening to your students and seeing if you can identify any of these signs and it may be that they're struggling to work out a solution just because they haven't listened to the teacher explanation but if you notice that they actually have really listened and they're still struggling that could be a sign to watch out for and um, he advises that we're really empathetic towards the students because they might find this very frustrating and um, he advises that we don't rely on rote learning and actually we need to help students really understand the processes in working out a mathematical solution rather than just rote learning the outcome of summits, for example. Um, help students to manage failure and understand that they will make mistakes and that's okay and that they should keep themselves up and keep trying. Ideally, engineer, find a way 
to make the students feel some sense of success. So if in a maths classroom students are just failing every single day, they're getting every single question wrong, very soon that's going to destroy any self-confidence and any enjoyment of the subject that they've got. So he recommends find some way to make them feel successful. Um, show the students patterns, teach them how to generalise, so how to extrapolate that pattern and to create new answers. Um, tip seven links really nicely into Rosenshine and the idea of retrieval practice, revisiting ideas again and again and again. Go back further than you think is needed and keep going back to basics. Introduce those basic things like um, addition, subtraction, multiplication. Don't assume that just because students in year nine or ten that they can master basics. Keep revisiting them because um, because they underpin everything really. really. Um, and I think a lot of this is explaining to students, showing why. Don't just assume that students understand how to do a task because you've explained it once. Um, you know, you you always need to be prepared to give them that explanation, break it down into the small steps, and really articulate to the student how they should approach them. I love those concepts. There's some really strong tips there, and I love the fact that number one, number seven is revisit everything, and number eight is revisit again and again. So uh, just to re-emphasise that actually, uh, you, you kind of that that building that Roshan shines uh, collective practice again is, is is underpinning everything. So identifying, interpreting, and addressing errors, but don't just say wrong. Address those and make sure that everybody's happy with their. Uh, and understands why something wasn't quite where it should be. I wonder how teachers and parents can get the assessment, Debbie. Um, another great question there. And for me, I would just start with the Senko, who will know an array of assessments and screening tests that can actually be employed to look at various skills, including computation and problem solving skills. They can help determine whether your child's uh, main issue is with maths or if there's another underlying issue, which there might be. Um, and just just incidentally, the, the purpose of, of a screening test is to see if there are traits of dyscalculia behaviour uh, which need to be further investigated through a formal diagnostic assessment. Um, so uh, PATOS and dyscalculia network um, can recommend assessors for both informal and formal um, assessments, as well as tu as tutorial support if you want to learn more about uh, dyscalculia. Thank you, Andy. And, and you were sharing. Yeah, I, I just think um, there might be some teachers, Senko's parents, thinking, well, why do we need the assessment? You know, if they struggle with maths and struggle with maths, what's the what's the assessment going to tell us that we don't already know? But um, I think. It, it can be really helpful as an indicator, if nothing else, um, that the school might want to put in place some testing for access arrangements for exams. So these are things where once you get that specialist assessor um, to look for the access arrangements, it might be that the child is then entitled to 25% extra time in the GCSE exams. It might be that it allows them to have a reader that can read the exam questions aloud to them so they can focus on their answer rather than being stressed about in the question. It might be that it allows them to undertake exams in a smaller venue or one to one. They're going to find less variety inducing. Um, so th these are quite practical things that can actually have a, a massive impact on the outcomes that a SEND student might achieve in their GCSE or their A-level exam. 
and, and I would echo that, Andy. Once the diagnosis is made, the, the doors of support open widely, don't they? And once we know that a child um, has dyscalculia, then teachers can make provisions accordingly to help them in the best way with quality first teaching, really. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it can identify different strategies as well for they need. So here at Connects Academy, we hope that this podcast has been helpful to you in respect of understanding and responding positively to the needs of students with calcula. Our podcast is equally as insightful and we're going to be looking at ways to raise awareness and support for students with dysgraphia next time. We hope to have you join in with that session and listen for top tips around that area. You can pick up our After the Bell podcasts, which are released on a weekly basis and provide quick tips and discussions with our experts around all things educational. And you can join and listen on your daily commute, on your treadmill, walking the dog or as your focus for the day. Thank you so much for joining us and listening to us and our podcast today around Discalcular. And we hope that you can join us next week to follow up with our further discussions. Thank you to Andy and Debbie.